Welcome back to Daf Shavua. This week's Daf is Misech Sivamos Daf Samach Ches. The Gemara Daf Samach Ches is going to discuss when a Bas Kohen is going to be disqualified from eating Truma, as well as when a woman who goes ahead and gets married to a Kohen uh, is also going to uh, be disqualified or uh, not allowed to uh, engage in the eating of uh, food that is Kodesh, food that is holy, such as Truma. The Gemara is going to go on and discuss uh, who these women are, why it would be that they would enter into a marriage with a Kohen, uh, and as a result, um, uh, forfeit their ability to go ahead and eat Truma. Or this woman who is a Bas Kohen is going to uh, enter into a marriage with a Yisrael and uh, something is going to happen as a result of this marriage, uh, in which case she uh, is also either going to be prohibited to eat Truma or she's going to return to her uh, to her father's house, uh, in which case she would be allowed to continue eating Truma depending on a few Factors. Now, the, the Gemara quotes the Psukim in Sefer Vayikra Perak Chafbiz, where the Torah tells us, Uvas Kohen ki zar. Let's say we have uh, Abbas Kohen and she goes ahead and she marries an Ish Zar. She marries a, uh, a regular uh, Yisrael, a regular Jew, and alongside that Pasuk comes the Pasuk of Vichol Zar Lo Yochal Kodesh, that anybody that's a Zar, anybody that's not uh, shayach, that's not related, that has no relationship to a Kohen, is not allowed to eat food that is holy. So many of the questions that this Gemara deals with are questions with regards to the changing of the status of a Bas Kohen who goes ahead and marries a Yisrael, and a Bas Yisrael who goes ahead and marries a ba, uh, uh, and marries a Kohen. So Gemara in the bottom of Daf Samach Zayin Amabiz, and the Mishnah over there tells us about a group of people who are going to be postlin veino machilin, people that disqualify others from eating truma, but don't entitle others to eat truma on their account. So who are these people? So the Mishnah goes on and the Mishnah describes that we have first the case of an Uber. The case of an Uber is a case where you have the Kohen's daughter, um, Bas Kohen, was married to Israel, and he dies and he leaves his wife with the fetus. So the unborn child prevents her this unborn child's mother, from being able to return back to the original status of eating truma as a result of a Bas Kohen based on the Pasuk of Binureha Beisaviha, that when a Kohen's daughter, who is married to Yisrael, is widowed or divorced without children, she goes back to her parents' house as she was. Binureha Beisaviha. She, Kinureha Beisaviha, rather. So she goes back to her uh, state of Naras, her state of before she was married, in which she was unable to eat truma. So basically, what the Mishnah presents to us in this first case of Uber is the Mishnah tells us that if there's going to be offspring from this relationship, if there's going to be a Kohen who is born to this mother, regardless of the fact that the Kohen's father has unfortunately passed away, this mother is going... To uh, even though she goes back to her father's house, she's still not going to be able to eat truma as a result of her as a result of her fetus. The next case the Mishnah presents is the case of a yavam, someone who gone through the halachic process of erisin. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, a yavam, the case of of somebody that uh, has to go ahead and engage in the process of yibum. Then the Mishnah tells us about someone that has gone through the halachic process of erisin, in which which is described as the daughter of a Kohen who becomes betrothed to a Yisrael. The daughter of a Kohen, uh, for all intents and purposes, gets engaged to 
a uh, gets engaged to Yisrael, that disqualifies her from eating truma, even though there was no nisuin, even though this process of marriage uh, was never completed. There was only an irisin without a nisuin, and as a result of the fact that there was only an irisin without a nisuin, so this uh, this uh, even though there was no nisuin, rather, so this woman is not going to be able to go ahead and is not going to be able to eat truma. So the Gemara then describes about a chiresh, a deaf mute who marries a kohen's daughter, also disqualifies her from eating truma. Gemara then goes on to have a lengthy discussion regarding the case in the Mishnah of a boy who is a Kohen, who we don't know his real age and whether or not he can be involved uh, in a marriage uh, with a woman. And the Mishnah describes that this uh, boy is around the age of nine. We assume that the age of nine is when uh, he can be involved in a physical relationship. And whether or not that's going to disqualify a woman who marries to uh, a woman who marries her, to uh, uh, this woman who this uh, nine-year-old marries, uh, disqualifies her from going ahead and from eating truma. Now, when it comes to uh, this Mishnah and this Gemara, the subsequent Gemara to the Mishnah on the bottom of Samach Zayin, um, Samach Zayin Amad Beis, so there are quite a few halachic discussions that take place as a result of this Mishnah and the ensuing Gemara. The Chashuk Echemet, Rav Yitzchik Zilberstein, asks a very interesting question over here, and the following uh, is a uh, is a uh, is a question that certainly uh, could potentially be uh, practical, and the question is as follows: that this man ruins. Uh, this woman's ability to go ahead and to uh, eat truma. So the Chashuk Yechemet asks, shouldn't this man go ahead and be Chayav Mishomazik? He's damaging her. He's removing her uh, property. He's removing her ability to eat truma. And as a result of him removing her ability to uh, to eat truma, he's uh, causing her monetary loss. The woman is never going to be able to eat truma the rest of her life. She has much less to eat now. So the Chashuk Yechemet quotes from the Gemara in Makos and Dafbeis, where the Rishonim learn a few possibilities as to why he's not going to be Chayav Mishamazik. Either what we have over here is something that's referred to a grind. Gramnezek. What Gramnezek is, uh, what Gramnezek is, is basically I am not going ahead and destroying the truma. It's not like I'm going ahead and I'm burning uh, food that she owns. It's not like I'm going ahead and ruining her property. I'm ruining the potential for her to go ahead and eat this truma. So say the Rishonim in the Gemara and Makos and Dafbeis, that really what's going on over here is this concept of Gramnezek. It's just causality. It's just, it's a second, uh, uh, second degree cause of damage. And as a result, um, uh, of my removing your ability to eat truma, um, Therefore, I'm not chayiv mishum nezek. Or, say some rishonim, there's no finite amount over here. I don't know how much truma you lost out on. I don't know the number uh, of of uh, whatever loaves of bread or vegetables or whatever it is that make up this truma. And since it's not a finite amount, I don't know how much you lost out on. And as a result, uh, I am not going to be chayiv mishum nezek. That's the question that's presented by the Chashuk Echemet. And when it comes to these types of conversations and when it comes to um, the change of Minhagim uh, uh, between husband and wife, so the Tashbits, who is a late 1300 Spanish 
uh, Rishon in Chila Gimel Simen Kuf Ayin Tes describes that whenever there are a few minhagim in a certain community and you have a woman from one community go ahead and marry a man from another community, there's no doubt that she has to go and she has to follow his minhagim. But there happens to be very literature, uh, very limited literature on this topic because in previous generations, this certainly didn't exist. You married somebody who lived on your street, you married somebody who lived around the corner, you married somebody that you were familiar with and certainly you shared most of, if not all of, the same customs. There were no such things as Hasidim marrying Misnagdim. There was no such things as Ashkenazim marrying Svardim. People married, people that lived in their town and nobody else. And as a result, uh, in the early Rishonim and into the early Achronim, uh, we don't really have much literature discussed uh, with regards to... Uh, with regards to uh, this topic, and therefore, uh, since this wasn't really practical, there's very little, uh, very little to say in uh, many of the classical sources. But the Tashbeitz does present the following case, and when the husband is alive, says the Tashbeitz, we apply the concept of what's called ishto kigufo, that uh, a woman, a, ma- a, a woman who enters into the marriage, she is like her husband herself, and she becomes like him to follow his practices, and. That, uh, and as a result, so she has to take on all of his minhagim. Continues on in the Tashbait, and the Tashbait says as follows. It's not logical that two people should live together and raise a family together, yet have different customs and different minhagim. We have a concept of lo tisgodidu, that we shouldn't go and, uh, and uh, have all sorts of different minhagim, have all sorts of different customs, certainly in the same community, certainly in the same household. So we should generally do our best to remain consistent. So as a result of Lotus Godidu, number one, and as a result of this concept of Ishto Kigufo, says the Tashbeitz, she goes ahead and she takes on the practices of the uh, of her husband. And uh, that is the uh, the followed minhug that we generally uh, that we generally hold like. The question, however, comes up, what happens uh, when her husband, God forbid, dies? So the Tashbeitz presents this question about the death of a husband, and the question becomes, does she go back to the minhagim of her father's house, or does she maintain the minhagim of her late husband? So this is where the Tashbeitz quotes our Gemara on Samach Ches in Yivamos, and the Tashbeitz says that it could go both ways. If her husband was more machmir about something, or more mekel, so the question that, uh, of can uh, or should she choose those uh, minhagim is the question that he uh, that he presents. So the Tashbeit's answer then says that if she had minhagim, sorry, that if she had children, right, from that marriage, so she should keep the minhagim. So she should take on and raise those children with the minhagim of their father. Their father is, uh, they are the continuation, they are the progeny of their father, and as a result, they should take on the minhagim of the father. And if they're taking on the minhagim of the father, if they're continuing those minhagim of the father, so the Tashbeit says that the mother should continue the minhagim of the father as well. And therefore, uh, and therefore, um, the, uh, the entire family uh, accepts this minhag upon themselves. And if there are no children, then, says the Tashbeit, she can go back and she can uh, take on uh, the minhagim that she grew up with, the minhagim of her family. Where does the Tashbeit get this from? What's the source that he comes, that he arrives at this conclusion from? So he gets this from the Pesachim of the Torah, where the Torah tells us, Vizera ein la, that she goes back to the house and to the customs of her father as long as she doesn't have any zera, as long as she has, doesn't have any children. 
which is based on a Bas Cohen going back to her father's home after divorce or after her husband dying. So what the Tashbeitz does over here is the Tashbeitz looks at our Gemara. Our Gemara set a precedent for what happens when a woman's status changes with regards to eating truma, with regards to eating kudshin, with regards to living a life of a Kohen. That uh, life, unfortunately, was short-lived. What happens as a result? And the Tashbeitz goes ahead and makes this uh, and makes this practical. So, where does this come up nowadays? How do we see this uh, in uh, in uh, our modern-day halacha uh, and halachic system? So, Moshe Feinstein and Nigros Moshe, or Chaim Simon Aleph, Chelik Aleph Simon Kufnun Ches, agrees with the Tashbeitz, but presents a different reason. So, Moshe Feinstein says that she needs to follow his minhag because. When a person moves into a different place with totally different minhagim, let's say I plan on living there the rest of my life, so that's considered to be my new makum, based on the Gemara and Ksubis, that when a woman enters into the Rishus of the Baal, a woman enters into the husband's uh, uh, household, enters into the husband's life, really, so she takes on his minhagim. So based on the concept of a person changing Makomos in life, changing a habitat, changing a, uh, uh, a place in which they call home, and having to go ahead and having to accept those minagim, uh, Ramosha uh, comes to his conclusion that she again has to uh, change her minhagim because she has a new makom. She now lives with her husband in a new place. So that's how Ramosha comes to his conclusion. Comes along with Ravadi Yosef and Ravadi Yosef asks the following uh, asks the following question. And we know that often many people take on personal chumras. They take on personal stringencies in their own lives. So Ravadi asks, what about a husband who wants to take uh, upon himself some sort of personal chumra? He doesn't doesn't want to hold by an Arab. He doesn't want to carry outside on Shabbos. Or he wants to uh, keep Rabbeinu Tam uh, Zmanim when it comes to Shabbos. So is she bound by these personal chumras that her husband has taken upon himself? So says Ravadi Yosef, no. That what we're talking about and what we're discussing here is normative halacha. If the husband wants to go ahead and if the husband uh, decides to take on these personal chumras, so she doesn't have to do that. She doesn't have to take these things on. She wants to live her life as a halachic abiding Jew. She wants to live her life, uh, you know, with the initial customs that she came into the marriage, uh, that she came into the marriage with. And therefore, says Ravavadya, person does not have to take uh, take it upon him uh, or herself as a result of her husband's chumras. There is a fascinating question over here that could certainly pan out nowadays that uh, becomes practical. Uh, certainly when we have a marriage between somebody who's Sephardic, a girl who's Sephardic, and a boy who is Ashkenazic, and Ravadi Yosef has a sefer called Tarat Habayit. And in the sefer Tarat Habayit, Ravadi Yosef describes all of the different uh, areas of Tarat Samashpacha and Hilchos Nida. And basically what Ravadi points out is that the Sephardim have a practice that from the time a woman sees Dam Nida, a woman sees blood, um, until she can count her seven days of being clean, there needs to be a minimum of four days that uh, that she uh, that she sees blood. So she sees blood on day one. She counts four days, and then she can begin to count her shivanakim, her seven clean days of not seeing blood. That's how the Sephardim uh, generally uh, maintain. That's generally their practice. However, when it comes to an ash. An Ashkenazic woman, an Ashkenazic family. So the Ashkenazim say that it has to be five days from the Re'iyasdan. She automatically has to count five days, regardless of when the blood uh, actually stops, and only then can she 
uh, can she uh, can she go ahead and begin her shiva nikim? So the question that Ravavadi asks is, can a woman keep her family practice and? Um, and uh, what should she do? So we know certainly that there is precedent that comes from a mother and uh, the way in which uh, a woman comes to many halachos of Tarah is based on the practices of her mother. And when Ravavadya uh, presents this question, he answers and he says that for uh, the, the amount of days that she has to wait, so she's going to have to follow the practice of her husband. But when it comes to the amount of dips in the mikvah and many of the other um, customs of uh, mikvah practice and mikvah observance, so she goes ahead and she continues to follow the practice, uh, the practice of her mother. Where else can this become relevant? So Rav Moshe Feinstein again in the Agros Motion, Chil Gimel, Simon Laman Chesar. Rav Moshe discusses the mitzvah of taking in early Shabbos, the mitzvah of Tosefes Shabbos. So what happens if the husband makes early Shabbos and his wife isn't ready yet? The husband wants to go to shul and uh, wants to start early Shabbos and, uh, and, and, and his wife is still continuing to do uh, whatever it is that she's doing and uh, what, should, uh, what should she do? Must she accept Shabbos uh, then as well or uh, is she not bound by this minah? So says Rav Moshe, a beautiful uh, answer that he presents over here. And Rav Moshe points out that if the husband is trying to do Tosef as Shabbos and he always abides by this, he always brings Shabbos in early, the rest of the year, the entire year, in the summer and the winter. He doesn't differentiate between when Shabbos starts. He always begins Shabbos uh, close to the time of Plaga Mincha. So if that were to be the case, then she would also have to take it on, uh, take it upon herself to uh, accept this uh, mitzvah of Tosef as Shabbos. However, that's not generally the practice. Usually in the winter months when uh, Plaga Mincha uh, often falls out in the mid twos, sometimes in the mid threes. So he doesn't accept early Shabbos at two fifteen on a on a January after Friday afternoon. He doesn't accept Tosefes Shabbos then in the in the summer. It's more convenient. He doesn't want his kids to eat at a uh, at a uh, at a late hour. So therefore he goes ahead and therefore he uh, he accepts early Shabbos. So says Moshe that this is not considered to be Tosefes Shabbos. It's about convenience. So since it's about convenience, she can do what's convenient for her. He can do what's convenient for him. And uh, as long as there's no uh, there's no rift, there's no fighting, there's no um, uh, argument over here. So says Rav Moshe, she would not have to take on his uh, practice on a Shabbos here, a Shabbos there, of accepting early Shabbos. And what comes out from these discussions is uh, really the ensuing Gemara on Daf Samaches, where the Gemara is really trying to figure out this uh, return of this woman back to her parents' house. What's the halachic status of her when she comes back, when she leaves, uh, and uh, should she have to undergo all sorts of trauma, a divorce, a dead husband, and, uh, and the like? And what are the halachic ramifications in terms of her uh, relationship to the Kahuna, to Kedusha, to Tara, to Truma, um, vis-a-vis her, 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 uh, her husband? And uh, what does that look like uh, practically in the world of Lambdas? That is Meseches Yevamos Daf Samach Ches.